We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ryan, let's go mailbag. And we don't have a lot, so we're kind of still trying to find some, but most we we don't a lot of comments, but we're looking for some questions as we get to this mailbag. So we'll we'll get to those as well. We'll start off with a little super chat from F U S C N D 88. Haven't seen the chat for a while, man. So good to see you. It's okay, fellas. Uh Dakova here got surprised with tickets to the Marshall game this weekend. That's awesome. Uh from his wife for his birthday. That's a pretty awesome wife thing to do right there. One question, I need a top five eateries around South Bend. Breakfast and pizza spots preferred, please. Okay, so breakfast spots, a lot of people have given you, I'll just tell you my two favorite breakfast spots. Number one, the Pancake House, which is over by Notre Dame, is pretty good. Uh, there's another place, Metro Diner, which is off of University and Maine, which is in Mishawaka. It's not very far from campus. It's like less than 10 minutes from campus. It's over by the Target. It's called a Metro Diner. That's also really good. That's actually my wife's favorite place. I, if I want pancakes, I go to the Pancake House, obviously. But if you're more, if your breakfast is more of like a, you know, you like eggs and hash browns and bacon and stuff like that, I actually like the Metro Diner even more than a Pancake House. I like their other stuff better, but Pancake House has really good pancakes. And Pancake House, other stuff is pretty good too. But those are my two favorite breakfast places. We go to a place called Copper Creek over by our house. It's okay, uh, but it's just that's more about a matter of convenience than it is about it being the best breakfast place because that stuff's all a little bit of a ways away from where we live. It's like 20, I mean, it's not that far. It's like 20 minutes away, but uh, we don't often have time to spend 40 minutes in a car going and have breakfast. We're usually pretty busy. Pizza places. My two favorite, and there's a lot, Barnaby's, people talking about Barnaby's. I'll just tell you what my two favorite pizza places are. Number one is Rocco's, which is hard to get into. It's like kind of a, a destination spot for people when they come in town. So it can be harder to get into there if you don't have a reservation. Uh, the other place, I, my favorite pizza place in town, flat out, no doubt about it, is Polito's, which is over on Hickory. It's not far from campus. It's over off Hickory and McKinley. And it is this little tiny place. It's right beside the, it's in between like a shopping center and a lock, Long John's, or a, what's it called? Long John Silver. Is that what you call it, right? Okay, that yep. kind of place. And uh, it's right there. And it is great pizza. It's like kind of like New York style pizza, 
Uh, we get the pizza from there. It's great. It's cheesy. It's bready. My wife is a pizza snob. She is born in Long Island. She thinks the only way to do pizza is the way that New Yorkers do pizza. And she loves their pizza. The other thing they do is they make like sandwiches. So like they'll like a, do a meatball sandwich. But the thing is the bread is actually pizza crust. So it's like pizza dough, I mean. So like they actually cook their sandwiches in pizza dough. And it's really good. So we get a, um, what I do is I get a, uh, I get the meatball sandwich, but I get it without the sauce because the sauce can get really like make the bread soggy. And so I get it cooked without the sauce and this is the mozz and all that. And then I just kind of pour the sauce on when I'm ready to eat it. But their sandwich is really good and really good people, you know, a local place, uh, you know, mom and her son are the main ones that run it. Really good people, really good pizza. So if you're in town this weekend, do Polito's. Definitely do Polito's. Uh, great, great pizza. Again, it's not the ambiance. They don't have like Notre Dame stuff all over like Rocco's. But it's if you're talking about a good pizza place and supporting a local business, definitely want to do Polito's. That's my place to be. Anytime we're over on that part of town, Ryan, mm -hmm. like uh, like sometimes if I'm going to if I need to you know go buy some new ammo, there's like a place over there. I'll just like, oh, honey, I'm going to go over there. Why? Because it's right by Polito's. Oh, well, I'm over there. I might as well go ahead and get Polito's right and take some Polito's home. Uh, so I'm always looking for excuses to get over there, but it's a, it's that kind of place. It's a really good place. So uh, safe travels coming in, by the way. And then Ryan, of course, that's a good advice for you and the fam when you're in town this weekend. If you guys are looking for either one of those things as well, I'm taking mental notes right now, man. Yes, there you, there you go. There you go. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Getting the mental reps on food. All right. C-Mac asks, because Brian, I know Spindler hasn't played, uh, but we've seen Luggan, Kristovic, and Carell. And when does he stand just play the young O-line? So I want to say two things about this. Yep. Because there's a lot of comments from the chat. And, and it was expected, right? I mean, that's just kind of what it is. And I love the passion that people have because their passion is why they come back and watch the show every day. But I also think that we need to be too a little cautious about making overreactions one way or the other from a game. And it, that, and we said this, we said this before the game, we said, win or lose, 
don't overreact too much to a game. And did the offensive line disappoint? Heck yes. There's no spin here. There's no justification for how they played. They played bad. End of statement. There's no buts. There's nothing. They played bad. Right? Now, the but comes from big picture, but it was one game. Right? And so if they come out against Marshall, Ryan, and they still don't play well, or Mm -hmm. relative to the competition, then that's a problem. But I'm not overreacting because here's the thing for for especially for like Lug and especially Carell, he earned this job over the course of a, a whole offseason. Yes. And so one bad game should not be okay, you're out, unless he doesn't respond to that bad game well. And this is what we talked about this weekend. If he comes out and he's kind of moping and in his feelings and sad and you know, not practicing. Well, okay, dude, you got to get out of here, right? Like, you know, you can't have you in the lineup, but if he, as long as he mentally responds, well, he's mad at himself, but he's like, I got to fix these mistakes and goes out and puts in the work. That's where I'm, that's where I'm, that's where you stick with it. Right now are all those guys kind of being put on notice? Yes, they should all be put on notice, but from everything we've been told, there wasn't really a close competition for that next spot. Mm-hmm. And so you're just not going to make a change because of one bad game. Now, over the next three games, I am really wanting to see what these guys do because I will be willing to make a change going into BYU if guys don't play better, if I'm Harry Eastan. Yep. Maybe even going into North Carolina if guys aren't playing better. Like, especially because, like you said, Ryan, these aren't rookies. Yep. These aren't sophomores. Like, if Joe Alt and Blake Fisher played poorly, I could have been like, you know what? I don't like it. It's not good. But, you know, Blake, like Blake, that was his third career start. I mean, if you think about Blake Fisher, his three starts are Florida State, Jermaine Johnson, first round pick, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma State and Ohio State. That kid's been thrown to the fire. I want to see what he does against someone who he's clearly the far superior player against. I want to see him step up and play well. But you can expect it from them. There's no excuse for Christophic and especially Carell and Lug to play as poorly as they did. None. And so I want to see I want to see them play better. Now, if they don't, I'm I'm going to be willing to make a move relatively quickly. You you said put on notice, Brian. I think that's a perfect way to put it, right? It's you have two guys in that conversation that are fourth year players, another one that is a sixth year player. Like it's 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 you, you can't make excuses for it anymore. Like you can't. Like it's 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 put up or shut up time. Like that's what it is, right? So. The fact of the matter is that Jared Patterson is going to be back in the future, right? Like he's, it, is it going to be for this game? Who knows? But either way, he is going to be back and you have other talented players in the room. It's just about, it's a trust thing at the end of the day too, right? I mean, cause one thing that we need to not be too hyperbolic with is that we just watched one single football game, Right. How many hours has Harry Heastan spent with this offensive line throughout the spring, summer, and fall practice, right? Like he has seen this these players on a day-to-day basis and seen the work they're putting in and their performance they're putting in on a daily basis. So there needs to be a part of you that says, hey, we maybe need to push back a little bit, take ourselves back, and let's evaluate another game. Let's see how things kind of move forward. But I agree with you. There has to be a, a notice on this one, right? Because like these guys are – not first, like this isn't a redshirt freshman that just got his first start and he didn't look that great, right? Like there isn't a ton of time left for these guys, even though I know Corral's got what two more years of eligibility after this one if he wanted to. But like these guys have to play good football or else there are other talented players. So put on notice, I think is a good way to ca- to categorize this. But it's not the let's just throw these guys to the curb. Like let's 
let's see it, right? Let's let's see how everything how everything turns out over the next couple weeks. And by the way, the AP top twenty-five did come out. I'm actually working on that story now. Notre Dame fell to eighth in the top twenty-five, so that's actually not bad. Uh, it, it clearly shows that they have respect for what Notre Dame did. Uh, yes. Clemson fell to fifth, which I thought was interesting. Ohio State fell to third, but I have a feeling that had a lot more to do with how good Georgia looked than anything about them having an issue with how Ohio State played this weekend. So uh, you also saw Florida go from unranked to 12th. Talk about overreactions from week one. <laughs> uh, Pitt jumped into the top 25 after their sloppy win over West Virginia, which I find comical. Keenan uh, Slovis, baby. Yeah. Keep it moving. Uh, NC State dropped five spots, which I understand. They barely beat East Carolina. Uh, mm-hmm. Wake dropped a spot. Ole Miss, they all dropped spots because people jumped in. And then Tennessee jumped into the top 25. So Oregon went from 11th to out of the top 25. So very interesting. Very interesting. And I'm surprised Texas didn't jump in, to be completely honest with you. I thought Texas would have jumped in uh, after a relatively convincing win. Just to, if for anything else, just to set up a, a top 25 matchup this weekend against Alabama. Yep. So Notre Dame is fell to eighth, which is a, a good place to be. Again, these rankings, then they don't matter because mm-hmm. these don't have any rank bearing on the college football playoff. But it is perception wise, it's still good to be a top eight team because you know you're going to see some teams ahead of you play each other at some point in time. You play one team ahead of you, and so you know A and M plays Bama, for example. A and M is sixth. It's just hilarious. Uh, so actually, no, Pitt did not jump in, did jump into the top 25. Excuse me. They just stayed put at 17. Sorry. Who did, Texas A&M beat who? Sta- uh, Sam Houston, Sam right? Sam Houston, was yeah. 30 nothing or something like that? Yeah, and it was yeah. an ugly, it was an ugly 30 nothing to be completely yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they weren't overly impressive, uh, but they're usually not overly impressive to be completely honest with you. So I'm not surprised by that, but yeah, so Notre Dame, Notre Dame stayed eighth in the ranking. So that's, uh. That's a good thing. And uh, just kind of looking through it now, Michigan State at 14. Arkansas jumped up three spots to 16. So, yeah, interesting, interesting top 25. BYU did jump up four spots to 21 uh, after a convincing win over South Florida. So that's uh, that's the top 25, Ryan. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll dive into the poll here. So I'm working on getting that article ready for Irish Breakdown. Uh, but again, just back to the point, it's just overreacting positively, a- negatively, and positively. Like, okay, Clarence Lewis had a great game, but let's see, you know, he's got to keep building on that, right? Like, you know, Benjamin Morrison had a great game for a rookie. He, he's got to build on that. Brandon Joseph's got to, everybody's got to build on it. And then, you know, do we think Isaiah Foskey's going to go through the year and have no sacks because he played bad in the opener? No, right? It's a game. Now, again, it's time to step up, right? Mm-hmm. But, I'm not making personnel changes based just on the performance on Saturday, unless the only exception is there's two exceptions. One, a kid emotionally doesn't handle this, his struggles correctly or well, or B, mm-hmm. the competition was really, really close going in. And that was the thing that kind of might seal the deal for me. Assuming yeah. that other kid even played, but in the offensive line, it's not like they put anybody else in, in the right. game. They didn't. Alan Watson asks Ryan, Brian and Ryan, I keep seeing that the Irish start strong, but as soon as they get off script, first 20 plays, they seem to struggle rest of the game. Is that coaching not being able to adjust on the fly? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that premise. Uh, that, uh, that, that was true early last year, mm-hmm. but overall that hasn't been the way. I mean, it certainly wasn't the way that Notre Dame played late last year, in my opinion. Right. No, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't really, I don't really accept the premise either. I'm just trying to like work through it in my head. Like, is there been a lot of situations where this has happened, Alan? I'm genuinely asking. Early last I'm... season, it was something I complained a lot about. Okay. Yeah, at times last season, early, you'd see that, and and but as the year went on, I kind of felt like Notre Dame kind of really finished well. I mean, they were much better in the second half against Purdue. I felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at like North Carolina, I thought they were kind of good on offense throughout the game. I thought that Stanford, they kind of did okay on the script, but then did pretty well off of it. So I don't think that's necessarily something that I would agree with the premise. I just, I think, again, I, I think they just have to execute better. I mean, there was stuff that they did. They adjusted on the fly. It just they couldn't protect the quarterback and didn't complete passes. I, I saw problem. someone. It's a problem. Yeah. I saw someone say that it happened in the Fiesta Bowl. It, it wasn't 20 plays, and then they fell off script. Yeah, like I mean, they dominated right. the whole first half. Right. <laughs> like, it wasn't just I mean, the only way plays. that could have been is if they scored four touchdowns on the first 15 plays, which actually is kind of close. I mean, you right, know. Right, But the sure. point is, is, again, they adjusted. They just didn't execute. Look, the thing is, adjustments only work if you have stuff you can adjust to. And when your offensive line doesn't play well, ring a bell, then it's hard to make adjustments. And so to me, that's the big thing for me is I just I'm not ready to kind of jump into this whole, um, you know, oh, they didn't make adjustments and that's why they lost the game thing. It's like they lost the game because they didn't execute. And do they need to be more aggressive? Yeah, I actually think the script was the least aggressive part of what they did against Ohio State. So, uh, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from and there have been times for that, but I just don't think that's necessarily something I would agree with right now, this particular with this particular team uh, where they are. Meyer 3 asked, did Tommy suffer from trying to use every single weapon other than the wide receivers, obviously, versus committing to one that was working regarding Estime? I keep seeing people say that Estime was working. Estime had 21 yards on nine carries. I I, I think Audric Estime is going to be fine, but I'm not looking at Audric Estime's performance against Ohio State saying, gee, they should have gave him the rock more. Um I think that they should have given Chris Tyree the rock in different areas. I think the, the issue was usage. Neither guy was used overly well, in my opinion. So, I mean, yeah. Audric Estime led all the other running backs in reception and carries, I mean. So, no, I, I, I don't think that the issue was that. I think the issue was I want to see the receivers getting the ball more. I want to see Chris Tyree getting chances on some of these counters and inside zone runs, not just on jet sweeps. I want to see him being used in the screen game and different things like that. So, I think how guys were used was an issue. I don't view it as trying to use every single weapon because some weapons I don't think he used enough, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, so I think the only guy that I thought they they force-fed a little too much was Mayer. And and I don't think they did enough to use him as a decoy. That's sure. the thing I didn't I didn't like. There were things that they did. If they could have just used him a certain way, maybe you can open up somebody else. I didn't see that on Saturday. I- I thought that they would be using Michael Mayer more as kind of that seam runner a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of to your point, right? That's kind of like a clear route type of type of idea. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also think that Michael Mayer could do more just generally, generally yeah. as far as like being a seam runner and kind of threatening that area of the field, second and third levels. And for whatever reason, I, I felt like I just saw a bunch of sit routes, a bunch of curls, you know, I had him thing. running one route beyond 10 yards the entire game. He ran a backside seam route at one point, and that's the only route that I charted him running more than 10 yards. And, like, I get it to a degree, Brian, because Mm -hmm. 
because Michael Mayer is a good yak guy, right? Like he can break mm-hmm. some tackles and do all that type of stuff. But we just talked about this whole offseason. I mean, and I think the staff has talked about it a little bit. The fact of like Michael Mayer can do more than just being a, right. you know, underneath threat. Like he needs to be a seam guy. He needs to work. Cause what were we talking about? I know that it ended up not coming to fruition that I thought that I, I didn't think the linebackers for Ohio state were overly impressive going into the game. Now, obviously Eichenberg had a good football game. Didn't really mention notice steel chambers a ton, at least kind of just off of my viewing, but I feel like there was stuff that you could have taken advantage of those guys in the passing game, as far as in the seams and working over the middle of the field. And I, I just honestly did not think that Notre Dame did enough to kind of take advantage of that, you know, and that goes from the Michael Mayer aspect. And also I thought we were going to see a Chris Tyree on an angle route or an option route in the passing game. And like, you just didn't see it. I don't, and I'm a little confused on why, you know, like yeah. I thought that Notre Dame was going to be able to stress the second level a lot more. And for whatever reason, that just was not the case in this match against Ohio state. Yep. And then his follow-up question is, uh, am I the only one that with the impression that Buckner wanted to let it rip more? I know you're, I don't think you're, you're definitely not the only one. Cause I, I think we, you could, I think kind of sometimes see Tyler was a little frustrated, which I think also is kind of maybe why a couple of the throws he forced. Cause it's like, I'm not yeah. getting a lot of chances to make plays. So when so I do, I, to, I, I, have I to need be to perfect. do something with it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that's putting more on a kid than, than asking him to do more where he knows, Hey, I gotta, I'm going to get chances. I need to make plays, but I'm gonna get chances to make plays. Yep. He knew he needed to make plays and he didn't get a lot of chances to do it. A lot of chances. He got some and he didn't make some, but that's, that's kind of the thing for me is I just, I want to see him get, Look, he's a he's a gunslinger, right? To a degree, like, and I understand you don't necessarily want to be that all the time, uh, you know. So I, I just, I, I get, I get why they did it to a degree. It's like you can understand something mm-hmm. and still not agree not with it. Like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Well, that, that's like that's like my wife makes a good point sometimes, and I'm like, nope, I still don't accept it. I'm sorry. Like you, you made a solid point though, but like good case, right. but nope, still don't accept it. Sorry, right. sorry, honey. But I mean, Brian, I, I mean, I agree with you 100 percent because you want to talk about putting too much stress on a on a on a first, well, not a first year player, but a first time starter. He's trying to be too perfect, right? right. And I felt like that there were a lot of cases in that. Like there were a couple balls that I thought he forced. We talked about, uh, I don't think we talked about it much, but like he overthrew Lorenzo Styles was open down the right sideline yeah, for on a, a wide fade. Over, yeah. yeah, he overthrew him. And I, it, there wasn't even that much pressure on that play. And that's honestly a play where I just think. He no, he actually got quiet. hit on that play. Did he get hit on yeah, that? Yeah, he got hit on that play. He got drilled. Now, again, he still, he still got to go through the completion route. I mean, if anything, right. if you get hit, the ball should be underthrown. Right. Sure. But uh, he's got to hit that. Right. I mean, it's, that's going to be part of the growing up process, but he did get hit. That was my only point. He did get hit. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, no, it, it, but I, I still think regardless, there were some throws where I thought it was a little telegraphed. I thought it was a little yeah. forced. Like it was, yeah. and that stuff, again, if you're only going to get X amount of throws, you're trying to make the most out of your plays. And that's not how you want to be as a quarterback sometimes. Right. Like it's just, you want to play loose. And I feel like they didn't let Tyler Buckner play loose. That was my biggest criticism yeah. of them. Yep. Let's go to some more questions here. We do have some questions rolling in here. We have one from We Are Not Marshall. Uh, Brian and Ryan, why the training wheels from Reese? Oh, was he seeing this war- that warranted this game? What was he seeing that warranted this game plan? I mean, we, I, we've talked about this a lot, Ryan. I, I, I don't yeah. know. I, we, we don't know the answer to that, right? We've talked about it before. Uh, this is not a typical Tom and Reese game plan. 
This is what yeah. we saw in the bowl game. It's not what we saw against Stanford. It's not what we saw against Georgia Tech, Navy, North Carolina, Ohio State. It's just not a typical Florida State last year. Marcus Freeman has said publicly he dictated what how they wanted to do it because he wanted the, the offense to be used a way to protect the defense. That's just what the head coach said that he wanted. Now, yeah. is that the head coach protecting his staff? I don't know. We'll find out. And so, you know, look, let's see what he does against Marshall and Cal and North Carolina and BYU. And we're really not going to know the answer to this again until we get to the Clemson game. Yes. Because if you felt that way against, you know, I just want to see it. I want to see it. So we can talk about toward blue in the face. I can speculate all we want. We've said everything that needs to be said about that. I, I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. Ryan doesn't know the answer. Marcus yeah. Freeman has said it was on him. Is that him being honest or is that him protecting his staff? We don't know the answer to that. Let's see what they do moving forward. All yes. I know is this. Whatever your opinion is of Tommy Reese, we all know for a fact that we have seen big games with Tommy Reese as the OC where he was not like that. Going back to Clemson in 2020, both times, because they were very aggressive both times they played Clemson in 2020 with Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback. We, he was taking shots down the field early in 2020 in the regular season. They were aggressive. I mean, they got into scoring zone on the first three drives against Clemson in 2020 in the ACC title game. Now, they didn't execute when they got down there, but sure. they we've never seen this type of lack of aggressiveness from him in the game except for last year or two years ago against Alabama and this Saturday against Ohio State. And it had a very similar feel, which is kind of a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So, But again, one game. I'm not going to try to just say, oh, see, Freeman's just like Brian Kelly. That would be irrational and stupid. Let's see how it goes forward. Let's see if yeah. they learn their lessons from it and say, you know what? Yeah, we kept Ohio State's points down, but we still lost. So in this example that I've always said, Ryan, you know my stance on this, playing keep away means a 31-20 loss turned into mm -hmm. a 21-10 to loss. But you don't win those games because you play keep away. You still got to score when you get the ball. Right. And whether that's six possessions or nine possessions, you still got to stop them when you get the ball. And Notre Dame had chances to put Ohio State down, and they didn't do it. And when Ohio State had chances to put Notre Dame down, they did. And that's the difference in this game. And I, as I said the other night, I gained a ton of respect for C.J. Stroud because he did not mm -hmm. play well. But when the game was yeah. on the line, he it's did what he needed to do. And so he went up and on my book. He went up in my book. And honestly, that was my biggest concern with CJ Stroud going into the year from an NFL draft perspective is like, looks good in structure, goes through his reads, all that good stuff. But he didn't seem really make a ton of plays outside of structure. He killed Notre Dame in the fourth quarter, man, working outside the pocket and hitting the, the, the passes down the sideline. He looked good in the big moments. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, to your, to your, the question here again, I just want to reiterate that I don't know what Tommy Reese's thought process is. I'm not going to, you know, judge a person based upon that. And again, time will tell the true story here, right? And if it mm -hmm. is a Marcus Freeman, you know, just wanted to play a certain brand of football, then guess what, guys? Marcus Freeman's also learning on the job, right? right? Like it's what this is. This is a his first true game as the head coach. I'm I'm right. I'm not counting the Oklahoma State game. We got a question about that yesterday. I don't count the Oklahoma State game. This was the first real game as a head coach, in my estimation, in my opinion, and he's learning how to be a head coach still. So let's give it some time. I do, I do count Oklahoma State in some regards. Uh, the thing that I think we've learned about Marcus Freeman in his first two games is there's two things. And he said it. Uh, he said the negative on, on yesterday. 
we got to finish. He said it after the game, we got, he said it 15 times. We got to finish. We got to finish. And his team has not finished in two games against top 10 opponents, Ohio state and Oregon and Oklahoma state, Ryan, they have led for all about 80 of those 120 minutes of those games. Yeah. They lost both of them. They got to finish. But here's the thing that we also learned. And this is something I do think we can take away from the Oklahoma state game because it, he was the head coach, even though the staff wasn't there, Ryan, they were mentally and emotionally ready to play both games. Right. They weren't in, they weren't afraid of the moment. They weren't afraid of the opponent. They didn't execute the way they needed to execute, and they and they weren't able to adjust and pull, you know make the right moves. The players didn't make the plays that they needed to do to win the games, but they put them in position. So that's a much better place to be than they have been in the past, where they mm-hmm. weren't even competitive in these games more often than not. And and so that's a positive sign if you're looking for positive signs. But again, you're not. You're not considered a success in their name because you were really emotionally, mentally ready to play in your loss. Right. You're judged in their name by being emotionally, mentally ready to play and then winning. And that's the thing that Marcus has to learn. And I'm really curious to see how Notre Dame reacts after they beat Marshall on Saturday. And we fully expect them to beat Marshall on Saturday. So I'm saying, but if they do in that situation, how does this team react? I wonder if there's almost kind of like get that monkey off your back and now just go play. You know, get get that win and and then just go play, and uh, that's going to be interesting. It's going to be very very interesting to see how that how that goes. All right, let's go to some more. We have a lot more. We have a super chat down here from Michael S. He goes, "Did Harry Heastand in the past have replaced uh, past have replaced players during a season for bad play? How did it work out? Yeah, we've seen that. Uh, the 2014 offensive line got completely overhauled. I can't remember who got. I think Connor Hanratty got pulled out, but they had. Nick Martin at center, if you remember that year, Ryan, they had Christian Lombard at guard and Steve Elmer at tackle, and then it just wasn't working. So he moved Elmer back to guard, kicked Lombard back out to tackle, moved Nick Martin to left guard because he was having some issues with his wrist, and then inserted Matt Hegarty in the starting lineup. And I thought the offensive line played pretty well down the stretch. Now, the team didn't play well in late 2014. But if you remember uh, that year, Notre Dame rushed for 99 yards against Louisville. That's because they had that play where, like, they snapped the ball and it went, like, 30 yards over Ever Golson's head. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, but Torian Folson rushed for over 100 yards that game. Mm-hmm. And he was one of only two backs all year to, to, to rush for over 100 yards against against uh, Louisville. And if my memory serves, serves me correctly, the only two running backs to go over 100 yards against Louisville that year were Dalvin Cook and Duke Johnson, along Pretty with good. Torian Folston. So and and then of course they went out in the bowl game uh, and then he were people McGlinchey in the starting lineup for the bowl game, and obviously they did really well. But they went for over 200 yards against Navy. They went for over 200 yards against Northwestern. They didn't run the ball a lot against Arizona State because they fell behind so quickly yep. that they couldn't run the ball. But I thought they and and then the first play of the game against USC, Josh Adams rips off a 70 yard run if you remember that. But again, they just kind of fell behind and 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 couldn't get it going. But so we saw it then. We saw him make that change then. There have been times when we when he's done it, but all, honestly, um, oh, 26, 2016, I remember mm-hmm. Colin McGovern struggled early at guard and he put Mark Harrell in yeah. and, and Mark Harrell played better. So we have seen him do that before when it's necessary, but honestly, his lines usually don't play to the level where he needed to make a replacement of somebody. Sure. But yes, sure. he has done it before, uh, including moving guys around from positions when things weren't working. So it's not... Uh, it's not completely abnormal. He'll he'll make a change if he needs to make a change. That's like kind of the point blank yeah. to it. But let's hope yeah. this this offensive line develops and yep. takes a step forward. So 
And Michael also had a super chase. As Marcus said yesterday, the problem with the O-line was youth. It is not like the BK excuse used last year. Yeah, it was. I didn't like to hear that. But he, as he went to explain it, he, he made it clear. He was talking about the youth was the other, the tackles. And he's right. They're true sophomores. Blake Fisher made his third career start. He was more referring to it from an experience standpoint of starts. And he went on to explain it. Because the only guy that has the only guy on the that started yesterday Saturday that had more than ten t- career starts was Josh Luck. Mm-hmm. Now, do, is that an excuse that I'm I'm accepting? No, it's not. You you should have played better. Sorry, that's I'm not buying that uh, because you are seniors. But he what he, he said youth, but as he went on to explain, he was talking about experience. But either way, it's not an excuse that I'm buying. Uh, right. But yes, it is very much so. Here's the difference, however. Or here's the question, not the difference. Here's the question that we have to learn about Marcus Freeman. Is he saying those things to protect his team and players, but then behind closed doors saying, uh-uh, not good enough? That's the difference. Brian Kelly would justify would say those things to justify him, him and his decisions and his poor play and to protect himself. I want to see what's true. So, Ryan, I mean, look, end of the day, I don't care what he says publicly. I care about what you do privately. The reason Brian Kelly's comments bothered me is because that's also what we knew that he was doing behind the scenes. Yeah. And he wasn't making changes behind the scenes. So, to your point, Michael, yes, that's not a thing that I like to hear. But I just don't know enough about Marcus Freeman yet to know what was – is he because there were things he said on Saturday where he was clearly protecting his coaches, but you could tell he was pissed. Sure. Right. And so that's what we don't know uh, about him yet. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you're someone who sa- says things like that in public because I'm not throwing my coaches under the bus and the players. Because we used to always get pissed about Brian Kelly doing that too. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, on my fault, it was Sam Mustaver's fault and it was the quarterback's fault. And it was this guy's fault and it was the defense's fault or whatever else. It was never his fault. So well, Brian Kelly continued that trend after the LSU game. Oh, I didn't listen to his press conference. Well. Was it bad? Yeah. Hey, it wasn't terrible, but you know, it was the same thing about, you know, uh, uh, we need to play better and not really mentioning the coaching aspect of right. anything, which is, right. you know, fantastic. Sure. Sure. It's always the players, always the players. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, speaking of Brian, uh, Robert Bishop asks, uh, how's BK feeling today? Anyone think that seat is a tad warm already? I don't know how LSU fans reacted to that game, right? I didn't listen I, to any of their stuff, so I couldn't tell you. I, I'll I'll say this: I did see in a particular YouTube video that is like an LSU-based one, Brian, and it seemed like a lot of LSU fans were not very happy after that mm-hmm. loss. So I don't know if that's the full pulse of the of the fan base, but it definitely didn't seem like they were particularly happy. And, Honestly, I was surprised that you didn't post that. Uh, what was that? The SEC short video or whatever that you sent us. Last it was time. on the board. Somebody <laughs> already put on it on the board. board. Yeah, I missed it on the board. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, yep. but yeah, that was I, I don't hilarious. Think, I don't. I don't think the fan base is overly pleased with the start because I think again, there were clear coaching issues during that game. Sure, right. It, it wasn't where you were just like, okay, their guys just aren't as good as Florida State's guys. Like that wasn't the, the issue during that game. No, it was the special teams blunders and, you know, mismanagement right. of the clock and different stuff like that. Like that, those were the issues during that game. So I, I definitely think that the, the, I, 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 I the general pulse I think is that LSU was not happy, but they're going to chalk it up to, but it's just one game. So. Yeah. So. And then, there, and then I did see one thing. Somebody sent me one thing where one of the guys was like, uh, 
saying something like, you know, they they had all these mistakes and still almost won. I'm like, man, have we not heard that for a million times over the last 12 years? You know, it's impressive that they only lost by one when they fumbled two punts and missed a had a field goal blocked and an extra point blocked. Dropped blah, two blah, passes. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay. Heard that before. Heard that before. Uh, best coaching job ever for a coach that can have that much go wrong and still almost win. <laughs> so. There's yeah. going to be a lot of almost wins in LSU's future. So what so. I said yesterday, Ryan, I tried to yep. warn them. I tried yep. to warn them. They didn't want to listen. They got, they got in their feelings and uh, didn't want to listen. Alan Watson, Brian Ryan, coaching question. You ever have a guy that practices badly but plays well or is practice worried but not a gamer? I've never had a guy that practiced badly that mm. played great because I will never play a guy who's a bad practice player. I can't justify it. Now, I have had some players that weren't great practice guys for different reasons. Uh, I had a kid, I've said, shared this before, Ryan, I had a receiver Duquesne named Michael Warfield, who just, he was a really weird athlete in that he just, he was really tightly wound and he mm-hmm. couldn't get loose in practice. And you'd have, you'd, I'd always be looking like, where's Michael? And he's over there laying down with a trainer, stretching him out. Cause he just couldn't get, he couldn't get loose. And so, I mean, he was good in practice. So he just, he wasn't great. He didn't, he didn't strike me as a star, you know, but he was mm-hmm. like, okay, he's one of my best three. And, and so we're going to start him. And he was our backside guy. When he yeah. goes out in the first game of the year against Bucknell and he he makes big plays. And then we go out to the next year. I think we played Butler in week two and he just dominates. And it was like, okay, this guy's a gamer. Right. And then we had another kid who on that team who was really good in practice, who was just good in games, but not great in games. And then I had a kid at Christopher Newport named Nathan Davis, who just was like, just couldn't lock in and practice. I mean, he, you know, just he wasn't a great practice player because he wasn't a great athlete, Ryan. But when mm-hmm. the lights were on, the kid was just great. You know, so but but they were both okay practice players. They were never bad practice players. Right. So I could never justify. I've always said, look, okay, I get that Phil Dracovic's not a great practice player, but you still got to play. He wasn't bad in practice. He just wasn't right. great in practice. What I've seen more is guys who are, um, like people have. I had somebody say this. Ian Book was considered a gamer. No, <laughs> Ian Book is exactly what Alan just said. He was a he was a star in practice. That was never the same player in games, but that's mm-hmm. my experience. I don't know what yours, what yours is like. My, right? Mine's mine's more the latter, Alan. On this one, I've had a lot of guys that look like Tarzan but play like Jane. If I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest, like they would look so good in practice. Brian, as a high school coach, the biggest thing that I had though was during summer practice, or you know, before before the uh, fall would start, before you're in pads, you would see these kids right? Working out and doing all that type of stuff where you're like, oh, that guy might be a dude, man. He might be a dude. And then you put the pads on. You're like, nope, not a dude. Because <laughs> you can mm-hmm. tell him like you can tell, you know, run that fat, run that way very fast. Do this, you know, do, run this drill this certain way. And they would look fantastic doing it. But then once they got in a game, it was just like it just wasn't there. You know, like yeah. they didn't process the game at all. Half speed so, like, heroes, baby. Yeah, Practice man. all Americans. Oh, yep. gosh. Yes, yes. And then you would yep. have the uh, the kids on scout team. I'm going to vent for a second. The kids on scout team where you run a play, it's you run it incorrectly, oh, run the same play over again, and then the kids, instead of doing their assignment, will run right to where the ball is going. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, practice practice hero right there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it was a frustrating thing from high school because I coached at a lower level in high school too. The, the same team I actually played for in high school. And – you would have a glimmer of hope one time, you know, where, uh, oh, wow, that kid might be a dude. And then wasn't a dude. And it's very mm-hmm. unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Yep. No doubt. 
I used to always it's like, oh man, this guy looks like, or you see that kid that, like when you're when I first get to a school, you'd see this kid, and you're like, wow, I was like, how'd that kid end up here? How's that kid mm-hmm. on at a one double A school or a D three school? And you're like, he's oh, six man. four. And then you watch him play, and you're like, oh, my, now my, I get it. My first year there, I, well, my first year when I was at Frostburg State playing, there was a freshman defensive lineman that year who was literally no no exaggeration. Six eight plus and three hundred and twenty pounds, and it was a good three hundred and twenty pounds. And he could right. I saw him dunk a basketball, jumping off of one leg, and I was like, "Oh man!" But then you saw him play, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> it's not very good." That's that. Right. That makes sense. But like off the field, you're like, "Ooh, how?" Yeah. I was like, "Wow, I'm playing D three football," but I think I think we got an SEC kid that could right. come out sucked through the cracks. But right. Nope. Not very right. good football player. Not yep. very good. Not at all. Next question. That was a really good question. Siggy thirteen says, uh, Brian and Ryan, do you do you get the feeling that Ohio that this Ohio State performance by Notre Dame on offense was more about Notre Dame, Notre Dame overthinking it, or is this the team's ability? I don't think I can watch that uh, play calling eleven more times. There's no way Tommy Reese calls games like that. I mean, yeah. again, was it bad? Yes, but we just don't have any hit really any history hardly any history of him calling games like that yeah right so i mean again we have no history of it marcus freeman said that's the game plan he wanted for this game against ohio state now we're going to find out if that's ohio state specific or if there's more to it ryan and you know for me i think it was ohio state specific and so i think the 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 former of what he said and i think it's the former is the first one right i always get those backwards the first one is 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 where it is where i think they overthought it a little bit Right. Or, I, or they or maybe took it too far. Like, I understand the premise, but they went too far with it a little bit, in my opinion. I, th- I think there's two sides to this. And one of them for me is not the lack of team talents. Right? right. I think that it's two things. One, I think they overthought it a little bit. Right. Like, I think that they may have limited themselves in some areas. And then also, can we for a second give Ohio State some credit? Like they played a gr- they played really well in certain areas that they were not great at last year. Right. Like, so I think you have to give the opponent some credit. And then you also have to say but also Notre Dame didn't help themselves in this area, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do, again, I do not think it's a lack of talent. I think it was a lack of trust in a lot of areas, and I think that it was a lack of also Ohio State played a good football game. Like, let's right. give them credit, man. They, they fought. They defensively and from an offensive line perspective, Ohio State was a much better team than I anticipated in the first game of the season. I was on the same wavelength with you. I thought later into the season, middle to late of the season, I was like, oh, well, that Ohio State offense line is going to be a lot better. That yep. defense is going to be a lot better. Cool. Did not expect the storm to happen in the first game right. where they looked that good on both lines. Like, right. it just was different for me. Yep. Agree. Laker Irish asked, does the rise of Mickey and Morrison mean the sophomore class is squeezed out? It's, it's in the process of happening. I mean, are they squeezed out in regard to – the roster, I don't take the question that way. I'm taking the question that way of just out of competition for starting jobs. Well, me, I mean, I think there's something to that, uh, honestly. I mean, they didn't turn to Ryan Barnes or Philip uh, Riley or Chance Tucker when Cam Hart needed a breather or was struggling or injured because Cam was not 100% on Saturday. They turned to Benjamin Morrison and Jaden Mickey. So, yeah, and and I think that that means those guys passed him up. Now, again, it's one game. Perhaps those guys were just the matchups they liked for this game. We'll find out, right? But it would seem to be the case. And I'm not overly surprised because they've been cross-training Ryan Barnes, and you can't beat out Benjamin Morrison if you're cross-training. But yeah. the other part is, like, I, I'm not – 
this, yeah, this is kind of a, I told you so. I'll, I'll say it. I've been trying to tell you all for a long time, Benjamin Morrison was not a top 300 guy. <laughs> he was way better than that. Way better than that. I've been saying all along, this is a top 100 kid, Ryan. I've been saying this from day one. This is a dude. Alabama does not go out to freaking Arizona to recruit corners who aren't dudes. I'm sorry. They just don't. And that's a team that, that Bama wanted Benjamin Morrison. Washington wanted Benjamin Morrison when Jimmy Lake was there. And Jimmy Lake puts a lot of corners into the NFL. It's one thing he definitely does. So the kid was always better than the rankings. I still never understand it. I, well, he didn't go to camps. I don't, do you not have film? Do you, do you do not watch games anymore? Like do games not matter anymore? That is a dude. I've been telling people this. I graded him as a top hundred recruit. I graded him as a five-star upside. And even I'm shocked that he was that way in game one against Ohio state. Like, yeah. I'm surprised that it was that quick, but he is a dude. He is an absolute dude. Now he played great. I, again, I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier about George Takis, but I had an agent buddy message me and say, uh, who's number 20 on Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I'm like, true freshman, you man. You gotta, agent you gotta wait a buddy? Bit. Yes. And agent okay. buddy was I, like, who's number 20, man? I, I like, really thought we were about to have a talk. I thought at first I couldn't. Did he say agent buddy or Asian buddy? Agent I was like, hold on buddy. a second. Let's a make sports, sure we specify a sports okay. a, a sports agent, agent texted me and okay. said, "Who's number twenty? He looks yeah. like the best defensive back on the team." And I was yes. like, "He's only a freshman, man. You got to wait a couple years for this yep. guy." So yes, but, back yeah. off, buddy. Back off. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, no, somebody else incredible. heard agent buddy and the length. Chat as well, I, so. I, I honestly was like, "Hold on a second. I want to make sure that that's said correctly, so we don't get a strike against us." No, uh, no. you know, yeah, uh, yes, agent buddy. He's a very he's long, he's athletic, but the thing we saw on Saturdays, he's really smart. He's instinctive. He just has a feel for the game. Seems kind of he's a pretty too. tough kid, too, for a freshman. He's a skinny freshman and he played physical. But I he I thought he the way he undercut that in cut in route that he almost picked, mm-hmm. that's a veteran move. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't see that. And again, we shouldn't be overly shocked because his dad played uh, in the NFL, but also was a really good player at Arizona as a defensive back. Mm-hmm. But he's a really good football player, Ryan. Really, and good it's football that, player. and it's not even just the fact of you know seeing the in cut and kind of being proactive with it. It's also the ability to make a decision to yeah to make the move. You know, and then like, have the speed confident. to close on it. Yes, you know, exactly. I mean that's the other thing. So all all, all all parts were impressive on that play. We had in our intel piece before the summer. We had a, a piece about Benjamin Morrison and how good he looked, and that intel piece came from an offensive person. So I was like, okay, well we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it looks, looks like it was legit. And I had another really good, a buddy who's a, a source who texted me. I swear to you, swear to you. He texted me. I think I told you this, Ryan, about a week and a half ago before the game. And he said, what I'm hearing from the people I know around the team is that the secondary could be the best part of the defense. And I said, dude, that no, <laughs> right, no, right. but for the opener, it definitely was. And if that proves true the rest of the year, most likely that's going to be a really good sign for Notre Dame. If this sec, if this is a repeatable performance, this team is going to be really good. I agree. Really good. Cause if Notre Notre Dame starts improving in the spots that we thought were going to be strengths and they carried what we thought may be a little bit of a weakness, then yeah, man, I I agree completely. If, If that secondary is as good as they looked in the game one, then you're going to be in a good spot. You're going to be in a really yep. good spot when it matters most. No doubt. 
All right, next question from Jay Henry. What's a good number of pass yards for Buckner for you guys to feel comfortable with the offense versus Marshall? You know, Jay, I don't know if I can give you numbers. I think for me, it would just be, I mean, if he only throws for 230 yards because, he, you know, he's out of the game by halftime, mm-hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like then, then I don't know if that would be fair, but if he plays at least three quarters, Ryan, I got to think at least 250 yards. But the thing for me that I want to see more of, even more so than yards, I want to see a yards per attempt around nine in a game like yeah. this. That's where yeah. I want to be. Um, you know, and 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 I want to see the ball getting thrown down the field a little bit and it successfully down the field a little bit yeah. is something that I want to see from this game. So that uh, I, I, I yeah, because he can throw for over 300 yards and it not necessarily be impressive. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Like, again, if he throws a three yard crossing route and Lorenzo Styles breaks nine tackles because the other team's not good, like Javon McKinley did to to New Mexico, then that that those yards don't impress me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's it's I care more about how it looks and how it's executed than I do more so the yards. I, I agree. I, I think that there is again, like I I've, I've been calling for the RPO, right? If he just throws a bunch of RPOs and it's like that crazy number, like okay, cool, cool type of thing, right? But I think that this is a game where you're gonna have opportunities to create explosive plays. I think that I mean, I have to think that that. Marshall is going to say, okay, we have a good second level of defense. We've got to stop the run. Like that's going to be mm-hmm. a thing that I believe, especially after seeing that game where you're just like, okay, they're struggling to throw the ball at points. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be a lot of one-on-one opportunities. There's going to be a lot of explosive play opportunities and Tyler Buckner needs to make those. I mean, he does because mm-hmm. this is a big thing, Brian, because again, it's Marshall, but this could be a confidence builder for a quarterback, mm-hmm. man. Like this could be a game where it's just like, oh, okay, I can do this. And then the next mm-hmm. week you get a little better. The next week after that, you get a little better. And then you lead up into a BYU or a Clemson, whatever, whatever the case may be, where you need Tyler Buckner to open things up. Like you, it's mm-hmm. a necessity now, not just a luxury at that point. So I think that this could be a big week to start building that confidence. Let's build it. Let's build it to the next question uh robert bishop do you guys think florida is for real or tennessee i predicted florida to win that game because what i kept saying to people is last year was the anomaly year that was the Mm -hmm. team that was in the sec title the year before and the two previous years was a top 10 team in a major bowl game now is florida going to challenge georgia for the sec east no so they're not for real in that regard but they are definitely a top 25 team talent-wise, Ryan. And I'm not surprised that they beat Utah, who I said is I'm just not impressed with. How, however, what I will say is I actually did like how Utah played on Saturday. Played they battled. They were, they, Florida just had better players, which is what I expected it to be. And Florida needed a crazy ending at the end to win the game. So – I actually came out of that game with more respect for Utah than I had going in to be completely. Again, it was like Notre Dame. They were not overwhelmed by the moment. They were not overwhelmed by the crowd or Florida speed. They just got beat by a better team. Yes. And props to them for. So I actually came away more impressed with Utah than I did. But Florida is, that's exactly what I expected Florida to be. They're athletic. They can run it. And Anthony Richardson's really talented athletically. Now, there's still some things he's got to develop with his game. But mm-hmm. he's a really physically talented kid, and as he gets more experience, which he should have got last year, after you know what I mean, uh, then he's going to be a really good player. But when you've got a dynamic quarterback like that who can just – like the, the game winner was not, oh, great play call, coach. It was, well, 
that guy's really talented. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> that's what oh, it was. Oh, man. He, he did a few of those during that game, too, man, where it's just like break two tackles, spin out of a sack, like, and just throw an absolute laser shot, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was my biggest thing about Dan Mullen, Brian, was like, okay, you lost the team. Everybody was, you know, just it kind of packed it in. Why was Emory, why was Emory Jones playing so right. much? Like, I just don't right. understand. Especially after the season went derailed. Why are we still trotting out Emory Jones? Like, why does... Why does a Anthony Richardson only get one start last year? Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. My only thought, it, yeah. and I don't buy it, my only yeah. thought all along was maybe he felt like because the team was so bad that he was afraid that Anthony could lose confidence if he's out there getting his butt kicked every every Saturday. Sure. Even then, it's kind of like, you know, I, again, I don't buy it. I'm like, that's the right. only somewhat acceptable excuse. But yeah. I never thought they were that they were actually that bad. They weren't actually that bad where that would have been a good excuse. So I, I don't I don't get it, Ryan. I, Flo- I really don't get it. Florida's always one of those teams that's going to have talent. Like there's never going to be an absence of talent because they're in a hotbed, right? And they're going to recruit and they're going to do all type of stuff. And I know you could say that, you know, maybe the, the previous coaching staff didn't recruit as well as you would want at a University of Florida. And that's fair. I accept that. Relative I, to I, their standards, correct. Yes, to and their standards, 100%. And especially yep. when you are in – where you are located in the country, there is not an excuse to not recruit at that at a higher level. So mm-hmm. I accept that with Dan Mullen. But that being said, there's still some really good talents on Florida. Right. I think you saw that on Saturday, right? Like Utah is a good team. Tavion right. Thomas is a tough runner. Cam Rising is a good football player. Clark Phillips is a good football player. Like there is – a lot of good football players on that Utah team, but I think they're just in more depth and more talent overall on a Florida team. I right. I picked Utah because I thought the experience factor might be the the kind of the kicker for them to being the more successful team. But I'll say this, Brian, I have always accepted that Anthony Richardson is a stupidly talented player. I mean, mm-hmm. 6'4", 230-something that can run and it has a, that type of arm. One thing that I loved in that game from him is he was very confident, man. Yes. Like he did not flinch in the pocket. I'm like, oh, okay, this kid's got some moxie to him too. And as he continues to improve, you know, just a little technical aspects of from a footwork perspective and an accuracy perspective, there is a good, I, I think a really good baseline because if you're a confident player, then you uh, you can play, you know, like you can play, especially when you have that type of talent. So I was overly impressed by Anthony Richardson, man. Yeah. The hype that we've heard this offseason – Showed a lot of it during that game, man. He made some plays that you just can't teach. Can't teach at the end of the day. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Next question. And Tennessee. I mean, let, let's see Tennessee play somebody good first, right? I mean, with all due respect, beating Ball State 59-10 to 10 doesn't show me anything. I think Tennessee is going to be a top 25 team. I said they were a sleeper Agreed. team before the year. But what, I'm, what I hate is when people you take things that prove – you know, that they have a confirmation bias and it's like, yeah, that's not the kind of outcome you should be using that confirmation bias for beating ball state 59 to 10 does not all of a sudden prove that I'm right about Tennessee. I'm sorry. You could be a seven and five sec team and still beat ball state set 59 to 10. I'm sorry. Yes. So yeah. I need to see them beat somebody good. We'll learn. I'll know a lot more about Tennessee after this weekend when they play pit at pit than we did I- after the opener. I have a take, Brian. I don't know if this is a game that we're going to pick this week, the Tennessee pick game. So maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I think I think Tennessee is going to roll pit this week. Like Wouldn't absolutely shock roll me. them. They Wouldn't are shock me. Tennessee has a lot of talent, man. Like I they really are like like I like I like Hendon Hooker a ton. I think yeah. that he's really fallen into a great situation. Jamari Small is a good running back. They have the the wide receiver that's name escaping me right now, the longer kid, but he's a really talented football Cedric player. Tillman? Cedric Tillman. Yep. Cedric yeah. Tillman's a really good football player. 
they have some experience that has come back on that offensive line, Jerome yep. Carvin and, and, and uh, the, the right kid that plays, you know, left tackle, right tackle type of player. And they have a defense with Jeremy Banks and a few other players that I'm just like, this, this is a good team. Tyler Barron at defensive end. Like it, it's a very talented football team. So I, I think that Tennessee rolls pit this week. I really do. I think that they, I think they are going to be a tough out in the sec this year. Agree. Agree. But I, I think we both also agree that let's see him do it against somebody good. Florida did it against somebody good. Let's see Tennessee do that. But I think yes. that's the battle for two in that division. That's the battle yeah. for two with all due respect to yeah. Kentucky. But again, now Florida's got to say, okay, that's a great win. Now, now, how do you handle success? Mm-hmm. That's something we got to learn. And that's something we're going to learn a lot about Notre Dame. When we said this during the offseason, we're going to learn how Notre Dame bounces back from defeat or how they handle success. Well, Notre Dame's got to prove they can bounce back from defeat. Florida's got to go show that they can handle success because now they, you know, they had a, they had a great win this weekend. Okay, but you got a good Kentucky team coming into your home field this week. Can you mm-hmm. now build on that success? Because if they can start the season 2-0 and with wins over two ranked opponents, I mean, Billy Napier is going to build himself up a lot of a lot of love down in Gainesville in a hurry. You mentioned Will Levis. He looked pretty good week one. Again, not against a great team. You know who looked really good in week one, Brian? And this is going to, like, I know you're going to be like, oh, okay, makes sense, because he had a great game against Notre Dame in the final game of the year. Spencer Sanders looked yes. fantastic in week yes. one. Man. I watched the film on him, Brian, and he just looked – he looks like a completely different player, man. Like he yes. looks confident, confident, yeah. comfortable in his own skin. And I mean, I don't think anybody's ever questioned the talent that Spencer Sander has. Right. Like, the kid has a hose for an arm, yeah. but no, it's never good. been about his ability. It's always about can he read a defense? Can he throw on yes. time? Can he make those plays? Yes. That's always been the question with him. And I, I know, I know it was Central Michigan, but he stacked back to back good games against Notre Dame well, and Central Michigan. Wasn't now Central it's... Michigan a weren't they a bowl team last year? Yeah, they I were. I believe they team. were. Um, you know, again, so yeah. it's 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 about understanding the quality of your opponent. Jim McElwain, I believe, is still their football coach, right? Yes, I believe you are right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a that's a decent football team that they went out and hung a lot on. Now, should they have given up as many points as they did? Heck no. Because right. I remember Ryan was like, dude, I can't believe they gave up 16, 16 points to Central Michigan at halftime. I'm like, And I was texting him a little bit. I was like, dude, it got worse. <laughs> you were <laughs> mad about worse. 16. You it was know. like 58-46 yeah. final or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was But, like, I mean, they yeah. were a 9-4 and four team last year. Uh, had a somewhat competitive loss to Missouri. Lost to LSU on the road. Mm-hmm. Lost to Miami and lost to Illinois, Northern Illinois by a point. They had a good win over Toledo last year. Uh, smacked beat Western Michigan at Western Michigan convincingly, beat Ball State convincingly, and then went into a bowl game and beat Washington State in a bowl game. So that's a a good football team that Jim McElwain's building. They're fundamentally sound. They're tough. They're like his Florida teams were. Fundamentally sound and tough. It just not schemed overly well at Florida, which was his problem, but there was never a lack of toughness. But I think think Florida, too, is, as I said, Ryan, getting rid of Todd Grantham was the thing that was going to be the thing that's going to turn them around. And Dan Mullen's inability to make that move is why Dan Mullen is currently unemployed as a football coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just that's what you got to do. Mr. Shaughnessy, Brian Ryan, do we do we see the younger players this weekend? Uh, hope I hope so. I want to see the backers. They I, need to. Yes. They need to. It, what was it, it you that asked? No, Sean asked me before the game, before the show, Ryan. Sean Davis called mm-hmm. me after they got done recording. So he goes, hey, do you think we'll see Junior this weekend? I said, they better. Talking about Junior Chalamaka, they better. If you don't, if you don't see a, a big dose of freshmen this weekend, that or sophomores as well, some sophomores that haven't played, that is an issue. That means that this was a competitive football game, and again, this is a game where 
I think Marshall is a better team than some people are going to give him credit for, but also you are a better team than Marshall. Like you just are flat out a much better team. So you need to roll this one. And this is not one of those games, Brian, like you get four games, right? You get four games to reserve a red shirt. This is a game where some of these kids need to play. You need to kind of see what you have. And I want to get them in a competitive environment where it's not just run, 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 run punts. Like I don't, right. I don't want to see that. Like I want to see them let them play a little bit. Right. And for them to let them play, they need to get in a little earlier than just the last couple drives of the fourth quarter, right? So mm-hmm. I think this is definitely a game where you need to see Notre Dame play some younger guys yes. throughout the game, throughout yes. the game, not even just at the I end. I don't want to see Tobias game. coming in when they're up 27-3 or something like that. Uh, and, I want to see him the ball and, series yeah. one or series two and get a shot. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Irish Chi-Town, Brian, do you think we'll be able to run the ball against Marshall? And is running back by committee um, uh, best, or would you prefer a feature back who has 20-plus touches? Number one, just the 20-plus touch thing is just a rare thing in college football. There were really only, what, two power five backs, Ryan, that consistently got 20 touches a game last year, and that was Brees Kenny Hall Walker and, and Brees Hall. Yeah. That was That's yep. it. Uh, yep. I've pointed this out before. When you go back and look at Georgia in 2017, in 15 games, Nick Chubb had, a t- had 20 or more carries in one game, and it was 20. You know, mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a running back by committee because it was him. It was uh, Sonny Michelle. And then they also would use DeAndre Swift that year. Yes. The problem Saturday was not the running backs per se. I didn't love the usage of it. I thought that you look, you, you got to tailor. We've said this before. You got to tailor your run game to your backs when they're in the game. But it was too tailored on Saturday. It was like Chris Tyree's just your jet sweep guy. Audric's just your duo ISO counter inside zone guy. You know, Logan Diggs didn't carry it enough to really know what he is yet, you know, how yeah. they're going to use him. But it's like you got to be able to tailor, but you still got to be able to run your stuff with all of them, you know. And I didn't like that part of it. But running back by committee is not a problem because mm-hmm. it was not blocking was the problem, right? right. If, if you do use the running backs the same exact way you did on Saturday, but the blocking was what it should have been, then we're, we're talking about, wow, what a great three-headed monster Notre Dame has a running back. You know, you know mm-hmm. that's the reality of it, right? And you know, did did Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson not know how to run in the first half, but then figured it out in the second half, or was Ohio State starting to block better in the second half? Well, they were blocking better, and then those guys were because Mayan Williams didn't start running harder in the fourth quarter. He just had more room to run. He could get going downhill more because of the blocking, and then he made he took advantage of it, and made made great runs. So that's at the end of the day, that's the thing, guys, is it's it's got to be about execution up front. Do that yep. and they're going to be fine. They'll be fine. It's, it, what, I, at no point did I feel it was a back problem on Saturday. 
No, you know, <laughs> that was that was like one of the last things I even thought about, <laughs> if I'm being yeah. honest, man. Like it just yeah. like I think you mentioned it perfectly. It was a usage thing for me. Like, right. Because we've talked a lot. I mean, Brian, like I think that we, there are a couple running backs on this team that I think have a skill set that you can use them in multiple ways. And I felt like to your point, I think it was very niche on Saturday. Right. Like it was just like this is the guy. This is what they want to run. Like it was like it was like Chris Tyree. All right, we're just gonna run jet sweeps. The so Eldrick estimate just pure downhill guy. And I'm just like yeah. that doesn't necessarily have to be all that they are. You know what I mean? Like I just felt like it was very like putting players in a box at points, felt yeah. like to me. Spanky has a great point. He goes, I think they legitimately thought they were going to dominate up front and didn't have a backup plan. And and I think there's a lot to that. Sure. Because that's what you'd heard all campus. I mean, the line's blocking really well, they're looking great. Now, one bad game doesn't mean that's gone. Mm-hmm. right it needs to get fixed but for me I, I think there's something to that they looked really good running the ball in fall camp i was told that multiple times but then you get to the game and and this is why we say like let me see him do it right yeah we're hearing this but let me see him do it and mm-hmm. i think i think i think spanky's right ryan i, I think they thought one thing was going to happen it didn't happen yeah. and they weren't prepared for the alternative don't disagree don't disagree I, I think that there's a lot of layers to it right like you had confidence in yourselves as far as Offensive line improvements, the running back depth you have, the quarterback run ability, and then also, again, Ohio State was not a great defensive team last year. They were a much better team in game one than they were in the yeah. entirety of 2021 season. So when you couple those things together, right. I think Notre Dame did have maybe maybe overconfidence, sure. Let's sure. call it that, I guess. But, yeah, I think that they definitely had an assumption that, like, hey, we're going to be able to run the football and it just – And protect the quarterback. There. Yes, That's the other yes. thing. Ohio State was not good at putting pressure on the quarterback last year. And the stuff they were doing to get pressure, some of it was really good scheme, but not stuff that we that they should have been unprepared for, right? I mean, you, you and I talked about this stuff when we did our film session last Tuesday. When we talk about, like, they'll bring different guys from different places, you got to be prepared for it. They'll bring the linebackers on stunts and stuff like that. We talked about that last week. So it was just bad execution. I mean, as simple as that. It was bad execution. And and you're right. They didn't have – because they did adjust, right? They did. This is the thing. They did adjust in the second half. They threw deeper. They threw took several deep shots in the second half. Now, there were some there were some other adjustments they should have made that they didn't make. I mean, get bring back some levels, bring back some crossers, you know, do right. some things like that, you know. They're king on Michael Mayer a ton. So move him in motion or put him somewhere, not move him in motion, move him in motion if you want him to get the ball, but then sit him somewhere if you want, if you want to use him as a decoy, because then they're going to overplay him and then you bang a post route over top of it or something like that. You know, what I mean, or or have him run a 10-yard option route and then take a run to the safety of the post route and then bring like a deep, you know, overhead drag. You know, well, okay, well, that sounds like a great plan, but you know what? That takes time to protect, and they weren't giving them time to protect that. So there was also some limitations to some of the adjustments you could make schematically because you couldn't protect the quarterback. Right. And that was that was probably the most disappointing thing to me was that. Even more mm-hmm. so than running the ball was that. Uh, that was strange. Yeah, Strange. All right, here we go. Here's an interesting one from uh, Rob Thidoff. Let's say in an alternate universe on a November 11th, 1993, Pete Bursich doesn't drop the INT and we beat Boston College and Nebraska in the Orange Bowl. Obviously, we have a national title, but did, but how did the next 29 years go? I I, I, I think we were asked this before the summer, Ryan. I don't think things change. Hmm. I think that that was going to be Lou Holtz's last great team because he had lost some coaches. Uh, he wasn't replacing them well, in my opinion. I mean, part of the reason they lost that year is because he hired Rick Minter as a defensive coordinator and he wasn't that good of a defensive coordinator, right? That's why they gave up 41 points to Boston College. 
I don't think it would have changed a whole lot. I think the only thing it would as far as the what happened next, I still think they probably I mean it would have maybe given them I don't know, maybe they could have got a better D coordinator than Bob Davey, but I don't know who that would have been. You, you know, I just I don't know if anything would have changed because you know, it just I think it still would have played out very similarly similarly as it did. I think what would have changed is how Lou Holtz is viewed. He's already considered a great coach, but I think if he'd had two titles at Notre Dame, things would look a lot different, in my opinion. But as far as the outcomes, because the reality is, is Lou would won that title while the school was fighting against the football team. That's what hurt Notre Dame. It's the school decided they didn't want Notre Dame to be great at football again. And that had happened before in the past. It's just the, the, they didn't they didn't bring in an era that, to replace them, those type of things. Yeah. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Adam so Blair. With a, I, I, I do ahead, like sorry. those. I do like those questions that are kind of like, you know, what ifs type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, have you watched like the um, they're like the Marvel shows that are like the what if this happened type of thing? So, no, I, I I've like heard about it, but I've never I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah. They're interesting. I kind of like those types of situations. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. What if this happens? It's a good one. Yes. But I just I I don't know if I think the only what if I have, Ryan, Mm-hmm. Is what if they would have hired Barry Alvarez instead of Lou uh, instead of Bob Davey? That's the only what if that I think would have had. Like I, I think I think George O'Leary would have been better than Ty. Sure, but it's not like he's returning them to the Lou Holtz days. Mm-hmm. They would have been he would have been a Brian Kelly type, good but not good enough, right? Right. Uh, that's the only thing that to me would have been different. I I think if if they would have said the only what if I have. Again, mm-hmm. as if Barry would have been hired instead of Bob Davey. That's For two different old, sides yeah. of it, too, right? Because yeah. it's oh, like, that's what would Notre Dame be? But then yeah. also, what would have happened with Wisconsin? <laughs> like, that's right. It's a good point. It's a good point. It's a really good point. Really good point. Adam Blair with a question here. Guys, do you think Notre Dame should start recruiting bigger offensive linemen and D, kind of like Bama and Georgia? I was curious because Justin Scott is a perfect fit for that. I, I'll push back a little bit on that. I don't think Justin Scott's a perfect fit for the Georgia and Alabama defense. I think Justin Scott's a perfect fit for a dominant defensive line no matter what you do. Right. I mean, three he's man, a great player. He can be matter. a he can play yeah. a three four DN spot. He could play a nose. He could play a three technique and a four down. He's a great player. And it's not necessarily because of his size. It's his size plus athleticism combination. Yes. yes. Do, does Notre Dame need to start recruiting defensive line, bigger defensive linemen? Marcus Freeman would say yes, which is why they are doing that. So, Adam, I think you're you're onto something. I do think they need to get bigger up front. It's just mm-hmm. you can't fix that in one offseason. You know, so you look at Bubakar Traore, 6'4", 250 plus. Brennan Vernon, mm-hmm. 6'5", already over 270 defensive ends. Devin Houston, 6'5", over 280 already. Brandon Davis Swain as a junior, 6'4", over 240, big kid. Uh, Keon Keeley, super long and twitchy. You look at the kids that they're recruiting, uh, and you know, Elijah Rushing, great length and size. Nigel Ar- Smith. Ar- Armel, Armel Mookum. Armel Mookum, well. that's another yeah. one. 6'3", 6'4", 250-plus pound kid with a great frame. So, yeah. Adam, I think you're I think I think you're onto something. I do th- I do think that they want to get bigger and longer up front while maintaining athleticism Mm -hmm. Uh, they're not going to look like georgia because it's a different defense it's a different kind of defense georgia needs a 300 plus pounder nose tackle Notre Dame doesn't need it if you can get one great but you don't need it Uh, so 
but offensive line wise, I have no problem with the size of the players that are recruiting. I mean, this current, nope. this incoming freshman class is going to be massive. That yes. was a concern that I had about Jeff Quinn's recruiting mm-hmm. because he was recruiting smaller, skinnier guys. I mean, Tosh Baker was always going to need to add a lot of weight. Michael Carmody was going to need to add a lot of weight. Emil Wagner is a kid that's going to need to add a lot of weight. Uh, Caleb Johnson is a kid that needed to add a lot of weight. Joe Walt's a kid that needed to add a lot of weight. Now, he had the DNA and it's worked out, but other than like sure. Blake Fisher and maybe Rocco, Ty Chan, right? Most of the guys they've recruited have been need to add a lot of weight guys. Where mm-hmm. if you look at the the first class for Harry, Joe Odding's the only guy like that that I can really think of. I mean, Elijah Page is already over 300 pounds. He's has a much yep. different frame. Like he can get a lot bigger, but he's got a much different frame than Tosh Baker had from the same high school. Right. Yep. Charles Jagasaw is already huge. Sullivan Abster is already huge. Sam Pendleton's already over 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think there's something to that, but I don't think they need they need or can recruit a bunch of 330 pounders because you just like guys like Blake Fisher just aren't in the north a whole lot. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just not a, they're, they're more kids. You'll find them in Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and Alabama and places like that. That's usually where you find them, North Carolina. And you're just not going to get a ton of those guys. You're going to get more of the Mike McGlinchies, the Liam Meikenbergs. And, and that's fine. I mean, those guys are part of great lines. Every now and then you'll get a Quentin Nelson in the north. Every mm-hmm. now and then you'll get a Blake Fisher in the north. But more often than not, you're going to get Joe Waltz and guys like that. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Uh, so, you know, again, Notre Dame's lack of si- Notre Dame's size on the offensive line was not a reason why they struggled on Saturday. Yeah. And especially once they get Jared Patterson back, because he's got a little bit more beef to him than Andrew Christoffic does. But no, that that's not the reason why. Defensive line-wise, though, yes, I do think they need to get bigger. Yes. Yes. Yep. Interior defensive line, there's no doubt about it, especially. But, I mean, offensive line-wise, Brian, I mean, if Jared Patterson plays, you every one of your starters is over 308 pounds, right? 308 or, or bigger. And Right. Well, I mean, yeah, once Christoffic replaced Patterson, that changed because he's only yes. 300 even. Sure. But yep. yes, your 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 normal line like Zeke Carell's issue on Saturday was not size. No, it wasn't. It no. was he stopped his feet, and I don't care if you're 325 pounds. If you stop your feet, and a guy that's 280 doesn't stop his feet, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose. That's just the reality of how it goes. No doubt about it. All right, let's keep rolling through these. Michael S. Uh, what do the linebackers need to do to improve? You want to handle that one there, Ryan? Yeah, sure. I think that for me, it depends what position you're talking about, right? I think that the thing that is key from a linebacker just in general is have to have great eye discipline. I think that that was lacking at some points in the game, more from a Maris Loifal perspective. You know, at times I thought that he just was maybe a tick slow and he's a guy that hasn't played football in a while, right? So I expect kind of that natural maturation from a J.D. Bertrand perspective. He's in a proper position. He just needs to finish plays. I mean, he does. It, it, there was too many missed tackles, especially on that 95-yard touchdown where just, you know, you're you're just you're not getting the ball carry on the ground. So I think it's about being a little more aggressive, being a little more trusting in your eyes and your technique, and being in a proper place. Like if you if you trust your eyes and your trigger, post-trigger, you're going to be in a good spot. And after that, it's about let's have consistent tackling technique. And I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be better than the, what they were on Saturday. I think there was some solid signs from the linebacker position just in general, but they definitely need to be better. There's no doubt about it. And I think that starts with trusting your technique, good eye discipline, triggering, and trusting yourselves, right? At the yep. end of the day, if they trust themselves, I think they'll make a lot of plays. I, I do think that there were times JD and Marist both 
where I think they got kind of in between trusting themselves and getting a little too far outside of their thought process. And mm-hmm. I think that those things cost them some missed tackles, overrunning plays, underrunning plays. All those things happen when you don't trust your technique. Next couple of weeks, I want to see JT J- Jr. to Alamaka play. Yeah. And I want to see a little bit of Jalen Sneed. Mm-hmm. Now, it's okay if it's once the game's in doubt. I'm okay with that, with, with Jalen Sneed. But I want to see Jalen Sneed this weekend, and I want to see Josh Burnham this weekend. And I want to see Jordan Patel be used as a pass rusher. They need some speed up up on the uh, on the edge. And I and I was a little surprised. I thought maybe he was suspended, but he played some special teams. So I, you know, that was the only that was the only personnel head scratching move from Saturday. Me saying JT needs to junior Chilamaka needs to play isn't be like, well, they'd have beat Ohio State if he'd have played on Saturday. Uh, I get why he didn't play. That's not yeah. the matchup for Junior Chilamaka to thrive. It's not just like, I don't know how much I'm playing him against USC, right? Mm-hmm. Unless it's kind of like, you know, let him rush off the edge or something like that. It's just not the matchup for him. Maybe in the second half when it was clear Ohio State was going to run the ball, maybe it might have been good to get him in there. But moving forward, I want to see him because there are some games where that's going to be a little bit better of a matchup for him. But I want to see Jalen Sneed because they like the, they got athletes at linebacker, but that kid's really athletic and they need to yeah. they need to kind of force feed that one a little bit against the Marshalls and the Cows and the Syracuses and the Stanfords and the Navies, they need to force Jalen Snead a little bit in those type of games and mm-hmm. get him rolling. Keith Wiegand says, what do you guys think? What do you guys want to see from the offense as far as points and yards this week uh, being an improvement? I, I mean, it's not so much about the points and the yards. I just want to see them be aggressive and execute and be physical. I want to just see them, you know, I care more about yards per play. I want to see them up over six yards a carry, at least in this game. I want to see them averaging – you know, nine nine or more yards per pass attempt in this game on Saturday. Now, if they get even higher than that, it's even better. You know, but again, this is a this is a team that led their league last year in yards allowed per attempt and yard and, and was second in yards allowed, allowed per completion. Unless I got that backwards, they were first and second in one of those two categories. I, I think it was first in yards per attempt, second in yards per completion. So mm-hmm. I want to see you go out and have some success against them in that regard because your dudes are still better than their dudes, right? So. You know, if, if they only score 40 points, it's, it is it is what it is. If they score 38 points, it is what it is. I'm not going to be happy, but as long as the execution is there, the aggressiveness is there, guys are making plays, the line's playing better, I can live with that. I'll, I, it won't be great, but I can live with it. Now, if they get it, if they score 50 plus, but we're not seeing better execution, they're just, be, they're just way better dudes than Marshall. That's the whole point is it's the points aren't going to answer this for us, right? If they score 59 points on Saturday, because they defense plays great and, and they're just way better than Marshall and they just kind of run them over. And it doesn't necessarily tell us that they're going to be better prepared to beat North Carolina or, or, or BYU or Clemson or USC or a rematch against Ohio state. It's about mm-hmm. the execution. It's about you, you use your weapons, be physical up front. I want to see guys moving their feet. I, Cause here's the thing holes that got destroyed against Ohio state could be 50 yard runs against Marshall. If you block the exact same way, because Marshall doesn't have Ohio State's dudes. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's 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 not so much the yards and points. If we see them hitting guys and stopping their feet, but Chris Tyree is still bursting through for a 50-yard touchdown, did they really get any better? No. It's the offense is still not good. It's just your dudes are way better than their dudes. What right. I want to see is Zeke Carell and Josh Lug and Andrew Kristoff and Blake Fisher and Joe Walt coming off the line and the tight ends too and hitting guys and then driving their feet and finishing blocks. That's what's going to say, okay, all right. They realize that they didn't do what they needed to do, and that's better. And if that only results in 40 points, okay, there's still work to be done, but they took a step, 
right? Hopefully it results in, we see both, a lot of points and that. Sure. But, you know, part of the reason, for example, that like like Western Kentucky scored a, a 50 plus points on, on Marshall last year, something they, they didn't give up a lot, is because they throw it a ton and they run a million plays. Notre mm-hmm. Dame is not that kind of team. Right. So I don't know if they'll necessarily get there, but I'd like to see it. Sure. Certainly would like to see it. Yeah. I'm not going to put a number on it. I think to reiterate what you said, cause I agree with it a hundred percent. I'm a film guy. I know you're a film guy, right? It, it's about passing the eye test, right? Like I don't right. need numbers in front of me to say like, wow, they looked a lot better today. They looked a lot crisper. The offensive line looked better. Those now the the scoring and the yard totals and yards per play, all that good stuff can quantify that th- to what your eyes saw. But at the end of the day, I need to see good football. Like that just all comes down to, I know it's a boring answer for some, but I need to see Notre Dame just look a lot more impressive than they did and a lot more engaged and a lot more focus on the technical aspects of playing their position. Those are the things that I need to see. I don't need to see a yard total specifically. I don't need to see a point total specifically. I need to see improvement and I need to see mm-hmm. good football on Saturday. That's right. all I need to say. Right. I want to address this because I'm saying this a lot. It's on, yep. you know, somebody on Twitter was like, uh, oh, it's disrespectful. They showed disrespect in their name by Ohio State beating them and then falling to number three. I don't think that Ohio State falling to number three was anything other than a correction. What did I say this offseason? Georgia is not going to have the fall off people think. Now, Georgia's not going to be as good as they were last year, and they're not. I thought Oregon was bad on Saturday like Georgia played great Ryan but Auburn Oregon sucked I mean it was it was it was both right Mm -hmm. but Georgia should have never been third with all due respect to Ohio State Georgia should have been no lower than second right and even then I still would have put them one but this is a correction Ohio State had a great win on Saturday they beat the number five team in the country at home by 11 that's a great win yeah. Georgia beat the number 11 team on a neutral field in their backyard by 46 points. Right? That's a little different. And mm-hmm. so that's what the jump was. It had nothing to do with who who the only way Ohio State was going to be able to stay at 3 the way Georgia played against Oregon was if they blew Notre Dame out. That was it. That was it. Right. But you got to think about it also I think the perception is I mean they didn't cover the spread. Right. I mean, that's dumb, yeah. but that's how some voters are. And it's also why we like to talk about the polls, but it, that's why I'm also glad that they don't matter at the end of the day. All right. Uh, Siggy said, Ryan, what are your thoughts on taking a toddler to a game? Meaning with travel, I have two toddlers and can't, 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 can't convince the wife it'll work. Well, Siggy, I guess my first question would be, how are you getting to the game? Like, how far are you from Notre Dame? We drove from south uh from new jersey to south bend which was about a 10 hour drive right so it was rough if i'm being honest right like we stopped kind of halfway there to just kind of chill for a night and then got there the next day and it was i mean it's it's not it's not fun traveling with the toddler for being honest right like that's not too much fun the one thing i will say is you need to try to coordinate your naps if you do convince the wife to let you go coordinate the naps so that hopefully she is in a good mood during the game because the one thing that Jules did not do a great I, thing for was during the uh, the spring game, Brian. Like we took Jules out there, and she she was done after about the first quarter and a half, and she's like, "All right, I need to walk around and I need to leave this game." And we had to, we ended up leaving the game 
a little bit earlier for the spring game, which, you know, it's just a spring game. So not a big deal, but yeah, she did a great job. In my opinion, Juliet's on kind of chilling, walking around a little bit, doing some good stuff, you know, but it is definitely get some snacks, get some rest, try to time up the nap. That's the biggest thing for me is trying to time up the nap. Cause you don't want to deal with a grumpy toddler during a important football game. So. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last few before we get out of here. Uh, Ed said three. Uh, Brian, I honestly thought you wrote the episode of SEC Shorts. Uh, they were in my head, Ed. It I did really not write was, it. Man. They were so in my head. I mean, I'm like, dude, I've been so – this is everything I've been saying. It took them one game to figure it out. One game to figure it out, Ryan. I really did think you wrote it when they were talking about like, oh, yeah, oh, it's 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 all the players' fault. It's not my fault at all or whatever it was. Right. It was so funny. So yes. Funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, that was that was classic stuff. I I mean, I just – oh, Ryan, I, I was weak. I just – it's like, that's, are you sure this is okay? I, yeah, our wide receiver was trash. And he just – he's like <laughs> – are you sure this is okay? He's like, he's got a $2,000 NIL deal with Raisin Canes or something. He'll be fine. Oh, uh, uh, so great. So great. So absolutely great. Uh, it was so classic. I just, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And of course, all the LSU fans are all in their feelings and responses. Like same people, I saw the same people responding on Twitter to them as this was poorly done. And it, just because something's making fun of you doesn't make it poorly done. I've seen them crack jokes on Notre Dame in the past where it's kind of it's kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like it's like, okay, I don't agree with it, but it's it's funny. Like lighten up. If that made you mad, then you're the problem. Lighten the heck up. This is kind of what they do. Uh, did you see the one where they had Utah and um Oregon's coaches coming going from the future? So like no. they went, you know that when they lose a the game, the guys are all beat up and bandaged. So they mm -hmm. had their coaches go back into the future to the to the pregame speech to try to like tell them to like you know what was going to happen it was hilarious it was really funny it was really, really funny, funny man really i like funny. the report cards have you ever seen the ones where they do like report cards oh it's really funny. i don't think so. if you haven't watched them you should the, the best ones they ever did though and i'll, I'll still say this is when is during covid when it was mm -hmm. the acc and the bit in the sec were going to play that yeah. whole, those two skits were just classic and then like the the pac-12 is like this nerd that just follows the big 10 around the big 10 was like this somewhat like attractive lady you know what i mean like they were trying to make her like you know i think i'm i think i'm hot stuff you know the way she carried herself like she's like thinks she's hot stuff that's how the big 10 carries itself you know what i mean yeah i thought yeah. how they the character they picked for that and how she conducted herself was like perfect in explaining the big 10 you know what i mean and then mm -hmm. the S pac-12 is like this tall nerdy looking guy they're like can't kick a football and like we're, we'll take you, but we're not taking them. She's like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> it was so great. That's awesome. It was so great. I I think those things are just incredibly well done. Yeah, incredibly that and the well uh, the jo what what's his Joey what from Barstool? Jo the, yeah, Molinero. Yeah, yeah. yeah his 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 one his the one he did uh, with Brian Kelly, Sab Saban and Kelly. Yeah, like, Brian, the how the hell did you get on this call? <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. <laughs> Because he's arguing with Jimbo Fisher, yeah. and then he just does. He's a Jimbo a super high pitch talking to me miles an hour, and then Brian Kelly, you know, gets on there with his little Savannah accent, and and he's just like, "Oh, it's so good, Brian. How the hell did you get on this call? All right, all right." <laughs> it was so good, so good. 
Oh my goodness gracious! That was. Wonderful. I might have to go watch that after this is over. Oh yeah. Have you again. have you seen it or are you just? Oh, like I've watching seen it a million. It again? I, yeah, I've seen it a million times. Yeah. yeah. Go watch some yeah. of the SEC shorts ones. Those are really really good. They're That's really well done. Really well done. And they have like different actors and actresses all the time. Like go watch the one from when Georgia lost to South Carolina in 2019. Mm. It was so great. It was really good. Like every time they're going to show highlights, he's like changing the channel. He's like cutting the cord because he's trying to make it was his girlfriend's the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's wearing a Jordan. <laughs> then at the end, uh, this lady shows up with like condolences flowers. And then she turns around and realizes what happened. And she's like screams really loudly. It was just really funny. <laughs> it was really, it was hilarious. Very well done. Anyway, that is going to do it for today's show, everybody. Thank you all so, so much uh, for everything today. Being with us, great crowd today. Uh, Before you leave, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Uh, And of course, if you're listening via podcast, give us a five-star review. Sign up for the message boards. We have a lot going on. Just because Notre Dame lost does not mean we are slowing down. We're going to keep going. Notre Dame's going to keep going. And we're going to have a lot, a lot, a lot of great content for you tonight. We will not have a show tonight uh, because Sean Styers is out and Vince isn't able to do the show. So there will be no Ivy Nation sports talk tonight, but they'll be back tomorrow as well uh, on Wednesday, and then we'll have a show on Thursday as well. So, everybody, have a great rest of your night. Uh, We will talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.